nope, nope. Uh, I can't do that. That's not going to work. We're going to have to find some intro music here. Uh, well, well, we are here. Uh, my name's David Frey. You knew me as Jabberwock on Twitter. And this is the numero uno Albatrosser podcast. Uh, thought about calling it... I'm doing a podcast, but I don't think I'd be good at doing a podcast podcast. But obviously we can't do that. So this is called the Albatrosser Podcast. Um, I've always rejected the notion of starting one. Uh, simply because I, li- I like to write, and I'm a perfectionist, and I also hate the sound of my own voice. However, over the last... Uh, couple years, I've been on, uh, you know, several industry-wide podcasts, Pat Mayo Hour, uh, Fantasy Golf Degenerates, uh, Roto Grinders, and uh, Golflandia, places like that, and um, maybe I've gotten used to my to hearing myself or whatnot, um, but I guess I'm more comfortable starting one, and so we're here. Um, most important thing about me uh, to remember on this these podcasts are that I'm probably going to ramble. Uh, I will try to keep that rambling to a minimum. Um, And I will try to keep it related to the week of um, golf that is coming up. Uh, This week we are starting with the Safeway Open. Um, It's the first tournament of the 2017-2018 season. And it is also the first tournament of the fall swing season. Um, A lot of people uh, discount the fall swing season as being, you know, tournament's kind of boring, there's no real big draws. Um, But I I look at it differently. I view the, I believe there are seven tournaments um, over the next three months. And they they really give these lesser known players a, a time to shine. And um, we saw it recently uh, kind of come into fruition how impactful the swing season is uh, with Xander Schofley uh, winning the Tour Championship. Uh, He got into the 30-man Tour Championship with his putt on the 18th uh, green and the last hole of the BMW Championship uh, gave him enough FedEx Cup points to get into the tour championship to compete um and the only reason he was that far along was because last year at sanderson farms he got 60 fedex fedex cup points uh from his t5 or t6 um over there and that of course is one of the swing season tournaments and so without it shifley would not have been in the tour championship at all. Uh, so he wouldn't have had the opportunity to win it. Um, and it's just awesome, uh, to see, uh, a web.com graduate, uh, you know, win twice in his first year, won the rookie of the year award, I believe this morning, which is the third of October, uh, came out that he won. And, um, I think it's just, uh, these tournaments are, a great way for the tour to grow um, and get these lesser-known guys onto the big stage and give them the opportunity they need to make money and compete. Um, and what that means for us is that 
uh, we do the research and watch these web guys um, watch them come and earn their tour cards and stuff like that we can really identify uh, key players who are very talented and who are worth a lot of points every week uh, but the general public are not aware of them uh, like Xander Shifley for the entire year up until the end he was pretty much unowned like he was always under ten, under 7 to 10% owned in every contest up until the end uh, when he was playing lights out but guys like that they uh you know, they kind of go under the radar because the general public in these gigantic tournaments, they don't they don't play guys, they don't know. So what does that mean for this week? Um, do we have any of these web guys that pop out uh, on the stat sheet for us? And, and there are a few. Um, but this field is actually not too bad. Um, you know, the top of the board is Tony Finau, Webb Simpson, Phil Mickelson, uh, Zach Johnson, etc. Um, it, it's actually kind of deep. Uh, we're not into the full Sanderson Farms, you know, fledgling events where nobody shows up. Uh, so, um, for the new guys this week, I would be a little bit reserved, um, in how much exposure I have to them. Um, guys like Keith Mitchell... Um, you know, uh, Seamus Power, uh, you know, uh, Chesson Hadley, uh, Steven Yeager, like some of these guys you've, you may have heard before, um, some of these guys have played on tour, or at least in PGA Tour events before, um, and they just, uh, earned their card for this coming season, uh, we want to just be a little bit careful with some of the lesser known guys, like, um, you know, a Keith Mitchell or or a Steven Yeager. Um, guys like Chesson Hadley, we know he's um, a bit more of an established player. Um, but uh, as I said this week, it, the field's actually kind of strong in terms of quality. Uh, we don't have a lot of the big names. I mean, the biggest name, obviously, is Phil. Um, but he is a shell of his former self at this point. Um, always kind of in the back of your mind you're expecting Phil to to turn it on um but he really hasn't been the same since he and um Stenson duked it out at the 2015 Open um kind of had a lackluster year didn't make it to the tour championship um which was definitely odd for Phil um and then, you know, after after that, it's just kind of a lot of guys that are usually priced around, like, you know, 7 or 8K uh, in normal events, like Finau and and Zach Johnson and Webb Simpson and Kevin Na. Uh, you know, these guys are always, they're usually priced around the 8K range. Uh, Keegan Bradley, you know, uh, they're all priced in 11,000, you know, Kevin Na's 9,400, which is pretty standard for him in these swing events. Um, so I think for roster construction this week, we're going to want to stick to some of these more well-known players. Um, and the way I see it going is uh, we'll kind of track these these web guys and see, see how it goes before we get into the full um, kind of... Sanderson's Farms, etc. type of tournaments. 
though obviously this podcast is free. Um, so I'm not going to give out all of my plays. That would be unfair to our subscribers. Um, but I will give out um, a few of my, uh, you know, a little bit of the game theory behind this. And um, this podcast is going to kind of be a, we're going to kind of have some growing pains along the way as I figure out the best way to do things. Um, I wanted to really just get on here for the first one and kind of hash out my my ideas of what the swing season does, um, what kind of advantages we have, uh, knowing the type of players that we know or will come to know uh, by looking at uh, looking at the data, um, and then I kind of wanted to talk about my process stats. Um, and then get into a few of these plays, and uh, over the, over time we will uh, grow and expand how we do this podcast. We will, you know, break down into regular segments, whatnot. Um, but I kind of want to get this first one out of the way, um, kind of give you just really an idea of how my thought process works, how I um, come to make the choices I make, and the first, uh, you know, the first thing people ask me um, when they're asking about my process is what is my view on stats um, because I am or I probably come across as a pretty heavy stats guy um, and actually I was watching a documentary last week and they had kind of the perfect analogy for how I view stats um, is a Vietnam War documentary and uh robert mcnamara the secretary of war he uh he got uh people in the government together and they um basically took all of the information they had in 1967 about the war in vietnam and you know the number of troops tanks the weapons the enemy uh they took all of this data and they fed it into this gigantic computer and um, it, this was back in obviously '67, and this computer was big enough, you know, to uh, it was as big as an entire room. And they plugged in all of their information about the war in Vietnam because it wasn't going very well, and they couldn't figure out why. And so they plugged their information in, and they wanted to find out when they would win. And uh, they left, let it run all weekend. And when they came back in on Monday, a single card was sitting there, and it said, you won the war in 1965, because that's what the data said, but that wasn't reality. Um, and so I, when I watched that scene, it just led me to thinking about DFS, you know, because I am always in the DFS mindset, and everything I see, I... <laughs> I think about how it impacts what I'm currently going through. Uh, and so in this case, it was DFS and it was golf. And I was thinking about this podcast and, you know, what my views on stats really were. And my views are stats are good. They're necessary. You need them. You need to have the data. But the data is not going to give you the answer uh, because there are variables that exist. Um, and just like, you know, 
just like a determined enemy. Uh, the, uh, you know, every week when you get into a golf tournament, you're going to have a lot of uh, situations that come into play that screw with the data. You know, the number one player in the in the world is not going to win every week. If if uh, the data just said he was uh, going to win every week, he'd win every week. But that's not how it works. That's not how uh, luck works. That's not how individual shots work. Uh, everything comes down to context. And um, what we can do with data is we can take all of the data that we have and we can apply it to putting ourselves in the best situation to win because uh, we're not going to win every single time. And uh, But if we win a certain amount of time, we can be profitable. And that is the entire goal of DFS, is to be profitable. Uh, it depends on how much profit you expect to make um, and what those expectations are. You could be a cash game grinder, like a lot of people I know are, or you can be solely um, going after the big prizes and tournaments. Uh, and your expectations for winning have to be different in both of those scenarios. Uh, so when people ask me how I use data, I think that is probably the best explanation of how I view data. I use it um, quite heavily, uh, but I use it to um, as a baseline for all of my other decisions um, because other factors come into play. Uh, you know, sickness, um, how long that guy has been playing. If you know, is he tired? Is he is he just burnt out? You know, is this guy just going through a rough putting phase? We can't use him if he can't, if he doesn't have confidence right now to sink those putts, uh, et cetera, stuff like that. And that is the kind of thing that you have to look at in each individual round and pay attention throughout the year um, in order to make those decisions because that's the kind of stuff that no matter what, the data can't give you everything. And so you're going to have to pay attention to those little things that that the numbers are going to miss. And that leads me into kind of kind of the point of my whole spiel right there. Uh, because the data tells me that Kevin Nye is my number one rank this week. Uh, it's pretty obvious why. Uh, Mr. Nye is basically everything you want at the Safeway Open. You want somebody who gains strokes off of the tee. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that he has to buy it. Uh, you want somebody who can gain strokes off the tee, but also, um, and then gain a lot of strokes on approach, uh, because this is primarily a second shot course. Um, and that's what Na does. He is excellent with his irons, and his entire week rests on the fact that he can putt. And, um, so my, uh, all the stats point to him as being a top five play in terms of how he fits uh, the stats um, and then combine that with the fact that he's played pretty well recently uh, uh, even though he finished 53rd at the BMW uh, he does have t uh, 4 at the Wyndham and a T6 at the Dell Championship in his last four starts uh, he has those two excellent scores. Um, and then he's played this tournament uh, three out of the last four years, and he has come, he came seventh last year, 
second in 2015 and third in 2013. So everything rates out for Kevin Na to uh, be the best player on the board. Um, price is good. Not you're not. You don't need him to win to pay for him this week, which is why he is going to be a core play. Um, because he can be your second golfer, or he can be your 1A, 1B type golfer, uh, because you can pay for two of the 9K guys. Uh, but you don't have to stress about him actually winning this event, which, as we all know with Kevin Na, winning is not his forte. Uh, he is allergic to winning. He is allergic to making those three-foot putts on Sunday afternoon when he's in contention. Um, so that's where um, that's where the data comes in, and you uh, you can look at it and know exactly what Kevin Na is supposed to do, but then you have to take a look at what Kevin Na probably will do. And as we see with a second, a third, and a seventh, there's no win there. There probably won't be a win there. If there is a win this weekend, will we be shocked? Mm, well, yeah, kind of, because it's Kevin Na, but the data says it shouldn't shock us. So that that is how I view, and I think a lot of people should view data, and um, how they should apply it in context to certain individual plays and players. Um, so, so I'm leading off with Kevin Na as obviously the number one play on the board. Um, and then I, you know, I really like Tony Finau as well. Um, it's it's very difficult to pay eleven five uh, for Finau, especially in cash, because uh, with a lot of cash games, you want to go with balance, especially in these cut events where getting six golfers through is the most important part, um, really, because it, it if you get six through, your weekend is going to be relatively stress-free. Uh, you are basically playing with upside. Um, and so the entire goal, obviously, is to get those six golfers through, and the best way to do it is to play six of the most likely to make the cut. And so if you're playing for Tony Finau, you're obviously probably not playing Kevin Na. You're probably not playing Keegan Bradley or Brendan Steele or Ryan Moore. Uh, because they are all in the 9K range. You, if you play Tony Finau, you will probably have to drop to the, you know, to the lower end of the 8K, the higher end of the 7K range, uh, which actually kind of would work this week, uh, because there are a lot of 7K guys that I do like, and so it is theoretically possible to play to start with Tony Finau in cash, but. As far as the industry grows, and I've, you know, we've had two days to digest what the industry thinks. Um, a lot of people are of the opinion that they love Tony Finau, but they don't want to pay 11.5 for him. So it's likely you don't need Tony Finau in cash, um, which is why I would recommend starting with a Kevin Na or a Ryan Moore or a Brendan Steele or two of those three. Uh, not really intentionally leaving out Bill Haas or Lucas Glover, but or Keegan Bradley even, but um, you know, now more Steele. Those those three probably are the most safe golfers to play in that range. Um, 
And so, see, this is where I'm rambling, and I lost my train of thought. But, um, so I had to think about it for a second. But back to my original point about Fino. Um, you know, it's probably somebody you're going to want to play in GPPs, but at his price tag, he's likely going to need to win for it to be worth it. And a win for Tony Fino is... It's not something I would pay that price for. Uh, especially when you have Phil Mickelson for 500 cheaper. I think Phil is more likely to win than Finau, if we're being honest about things. Even And that is understanding how poor Phil, Phil is playing at this stage in his career, which is not really actually poor, but he's just not as good as he used to be. Um, but he probably is better than, you know, 99% of this field on any given week. So, um, that's a basic theory I have in cash this week is, um, you know, these, these top four guys in price are probably not worth paying up for. Uh, and so starting in that 9k range, it's probably, probably a good decision to do. Um, because we see a lot of these 8k range guys, there's more of GPP plays, I believe. Um, you know, Pito Ulines, Jamie Lovemarks, Emiliano Grios. Uh, those guys all look more uh, like GPP flyers to me. Uh, they're a little, they're priced a little bit higher than you want them to. Like you wouldn't be shocked with any of these guys priced in the 7K range, but they're priced, you know, up near 9K, and it's really hard to stomach that price in cash, uh, especially when you have guys like Luke List, Scott Brown, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Scott Piercy, even Sam Saunders. These guys are all under 8K. And, um, that'd be, that's the kind of price I'm comfortable paying for those guys. Uh, so, so that's really where I'm sitting this week. Uh, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to delve too much into this, uh, because the podcast is free. We, uh, you know, we want, we want to get people to listen. Um, and if they can stomach listening to me ramble on, uh, you know, maybe they'd be interested in hearing my more in-depth, uh, ideas about specific individuals, uh, for this week. Um, and that is kind of the goal of the whole podcast, but that's pretty much all I have for this week. Um, like I said, I wanted to kind of keep it short, keep it a little, you know, keep it short and sweet. Uh, and then as we go on, uh, and grow, we will, you know, develop into some segments uh, a little bit more stable, probably get some intro music, uh, that wasn't, you know, the default in the, uh, in the podcast app that I have. Um, and I have people to do, uh, to help me out with that, but, you know, it is midnight, <laughs> Wednesday morning, you know, we have, we have 24, you know, we have a day before the tournament starts. I uh, figured we would just get this kind of out of the way. And uh, I would make my mark on the first tournament of the season. So th- that's all I have for, for this week. Um, you guys stay safe and we will see you around the green.